WVUAFM, Tuscaloosa. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 90.7 WVUA-FM. This is the game day show live on the campus of the University of Alabama. It is Saturday, November 18th, the second to last week in the college football regular season. Alabama is set to take on Chattanooga at 11 a.m., just about three hours from kickoff. I am Nazario Pangal. i got a jam-packed show for you today. I will be talking about Alabama versus Kentucky last week week get into this Chattanooga game also talk about Alabama and their future looking ahead for this season how in the world do they make it to the playoff this year what's got to happen then we're going to talk about all of college football lots of stuff going on still five remaining undefeated power five teams left with two weeks in the season still multiple multiple undefeated teams left a lot of things gonna happen can't will there be more upsets will some teams get knocked out of the playoff race it's a very interesting field of teams you're looking at it right now about eight teams that are vying for the playoffs right now this late in the season I'm not sure we've ever had this many teams vying for a playoff spot welcome in to the game day show I'm Nazario Pangallo as I said thank you all for tuning in and let's jump right in. Last week, Alabama heads to Lexington. 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff. You obviously had the Tennessee and LSU game before this. A little bit of a trap game. Everybody going into this game thinking, you know, will there be a letdown? Can this team battle through this tough you know, stretch of SEC football games. And that's exactly what they did. They stayed focused, absolutely come out, and just put the game away right away. Because I was in Lexington for that game. There's a lively amount of Kentucky football fans there in Lexington ready to see if their team could pull off an upset. And, you know, Alabama came out and put that right to bed. They jumped out to a 21 to nothing lead within the first 10 minutes of the game. For one of the first times all season, Alabama receives the ball first and drives right down the field for a touchdown. Then the defense comes right back out, three and out. Jalen Milrow, again, touchdown. Then Terrion Arnold makes a fantastic play, gets a fumble inside the 20-yard line. Caleb Downs returns it to the one. Alabama punches in, and just like that, 21-0 Alabama, and that is it. Kentucky was able to battle a little bit in this game, make it a little bit close. Obviously, Kool-Aid muffs a punt in that game in the first quarter where really gave Kentucky some life, able to bounce back and, you know, make it a little bit of a closer game. But Alabama would keep doing their thing and, you know, win 49-21 to in this football game. Outgained Kentucky 404. 44 to 253. They went 7 of 11 on third downs, 5 of 5 in the red zone. Five touchdowns on five chances in the red zone. Phenomenal right there and had 23 to 11 in first downs. And just just a little bit of an interesting factor here is they did all of this without Jermaine Burton. Without their number 1 receiver, they were have able to have all of the success, you know, on the ground through the air. Mixing it up. Just a great, phenomenal game 
by Alabama. And, you know, Nick Saban will talk about this. We'll talk about this a little later. But all this was all mental because we knew coming into this game, Alabama, very likely better team. They come out. They do their thing. They're focused. They'll win this football game. And that's exactly what they did. But people were talking about before. Will they have the focus? Will they be able to go in to SEC play, keep it going, and coming off tough, emotional football games, be able to play their best football? And it looked like this was the most complete four quarters of football that Alabama has played. And they didn't even need to put their starters out there for all four quarters. Let's talk about the offensive line first. For the first time all season, they did not allow a single sack in the game. Their pass blocking in this game was by far the best that it has been all season. And this helped the passing game really get going in the first half. There were some times where you see Jalen Milrow sitting in the pocket a little bit longer than we've seen all season. And what did this do? What did this, do? this gave Jalen Milrow the ability to work through his progressions, something that we have not seen much of all year. He was able to look off defenders. He was able to find not his first receiver, maybe his second or his third receiver, like we saw on a Kobe Prentice deep play. Jalen Milrow's look to the left, looks off the safety, hits Kobe Prentice in the post in the middle of the field for a 40-yard gain. This was all started by the offensive line being able to hold blocks. Jalen Milrow did not have to run around a lot. He ran when he needed to, and he extended plays. He made some phenomenal plays with his legs, like his first touchdown pass to Kobe Prentice on the run. Then, in the second quarter, his other passing touchdown to Roydale Williams that he also made on the run. So it is amazing to see the ability for Jalen Milrow and this offensive line to hold blocks, stay in the pocket, make throws when he needs to, but also get outside of the pocket, make plays with his legs when he needs to. And something that we haven't seen as much this season is when he gets outside of the pocket, when he's running, look downfield and find receivers open. We saw that with the Roydell Williams touchdown where the linebacker who was guarding Roydell decided to come off of him and stop Jalen Milrow from running the football. Jalen Milrow realizes this, dumps it to Roydell. He makes a play, touchdown. That's one thing that we saw a lot with Bryce Young, his ability to get outside of the pocket but still keep his eyes downfield, find open receivers. Jalen Milrow's working with that. Obviously, a lot of his early success outside the pocket, running the ball. We love that. He's a fantastic runner outside the pocket. He's got speed. He's got physicality. Safeties and corners do not want to tackle this guy, but also just getting the ability to pass the football outside of the pocket. It really makes it interesting when you face an athletic team like Georgia which we will play in two weeks, or sorry, three weeks. No, so two, two weeks, two weeks from now, December 2nd. When you face a team like Georgia that can rush the passer and cover well, but when you have a quarterback that can make plays off script, that really changes it up for a defense. Let's talk a little bit also about the offensive line in the run game. Early in this, this game, first half, we saw a lot of Jalen Milrow and the passing game. But in the second half, with a lead, when they needed to close out the game and drain clock, this offensive line took control. Offense averaged 4.5 yards per carry in the second half of this football game. That is just a perfect, perfect plan for going into a road stadium, getting the lead early, and putting the game away. 
They never allowed Kentucky to get this game within two scores, not even to a single possession after they got that 21-0 lead. It was over after that. People were leaving third quarter, but us Alabama fans, including myself and my dad who were there, late in this fourth quarter, we were still there chanting it up for Alabama. It was great to see all those Alabama fans there in Lexington. All right, let's get to the defense who played phenomenal let up 21 points there was a late garbage time touchdown which some people could have said could have been taken away for a fumble but i digress let's get into how the defense played all right first stat here padlock stat right here kentucky ran 24 first down plays for 187 yards in this game four of those plays accounted for 160 of those yards the only four explosive plays Kentucky had all game. So you take out those four plays. Kentucky ran 20 first down plays for 27 yards. That is 1.3 yards per first down play. That is absolutely the game plan for a defense. If you can stop a team on first down, get them in passing situations, that is plays right into this defense, right into Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell not having to worry about the run at all and getting after the quarterback. This led to holding Kentucky to 3 of 11 on third down in this game. A lot of those third downs, I'm not sure what the average distance was, but a lot of them were third and long. And this forced Evan Leary to have to, th- to hold the football, which induced more pass rush when quarterbacks have to hold the ball longer gives the defensive line more of a chance to get to the quarterback and then when you've got an athletic and fast secondary like this Alabama team does it makes Devin Leary and any quarterback's job even harder whether it's man coverage which we see a lot with this team or if they mix in some zone it's hard to make reads on this team especially when they're up and those receivers face not let them get off the line of scrimmage just forcing you know them to make deep routes hard routes being physical with them and then Devin Leary he's got to make reads be on time but also have to deal with the pass rush another great thing to see from this game was their ability to get pressure on Devin Leary with blitzes and four-man rushes we talked about that throughout this season whether they were able to get uh, rushes on four-man pressures or even three-man pressures and not having to blitz all the time and put the secondary in bad positions where they're you know only four defenders in the secondary eight and seven six seven guys blitzing they don't have to do that all the time now they can mix in four-man rushes they can mix in five six-man blitzes they know what they're doing they're an athletic defense and they communicate well they play well together they know what they're doing they know what they're doing between their ears they know exactly what's going on every play going back to the first down plays This is a Kentucky team that loves to run the football. Against Florida earlier this season, they ran for over 300 yards. Ray Davis was leading the SEC early on in this season in rushing. While they held Ray Davis to just 26 yards on 12 carries. If you're a team like Kentucky that likes to get your run game going and then mix in your passing game with play-action passes... It's really hard to do that when you can't run the football. And that's something that Kentucky could not do in this game. Credit to the defense, being able to, you know, Tim Keenan, Aboigby, 
mixing it up in that defensive line, the interior of the defensive line, absolutely disrupting, not allowing the offensive linemen of Kentucky to get any push, not letting them get up to the second level to the linebackers, which allows these linebackers like Jihad Campbell, like Lawson when he's been playing, to get to the running back, to see the lanes, to see where the opening might be and get downhill, make those reads, get to the holes, and make tackles. This team rarely misses tackles. Jihad Campbell played a phenomenal game Saturday, hit five tackles, one tackle for loss, one QB pressure, one pass breakup. He's been playing phenomenal this season. This whole linebacker core has been one of one of the best in the country, one of the best in the SEC. But then you factor in this secondary, which has two NFL cornerbacks, without a doubt, possibly two first-round corners. We are likely going to see Kool-Aid McKinstry go in the first round. Terion Arnold, depending on whether he decides to come back and then go to the NFL next year, he might have a chance to be first round then. Right now, second, third-round pick. Those two guys are fantastic. They get up to the line. They're physical with the receivers. Don't let them get off the line, get their releases. And we saw... A lot of teams have trouble with this secondary, other than Texas early on. But that was a lot of different things, a lot of things with this defense. And that's credit to this defense growing from that game. They have they let up over 300 yards to Quinn Ewers, and they have shut down every passing game since then. LSU had a little bit of success. A lot of that had to do with Jaden Daniels running the football. But in this game, Terion Arnold also forced a fumble and had an interception. We need turnovers. Turnovers create a lot of momentum. They get everybody going. And when it was 14-0, Kentucky got the ball back, and we force another turnover, get great field position, and then the offense was able to punch that in. Everybody gets going, everybody's rocking and rolling, and everybody's fired up. Another thing about this secondary is the way their safeties play, the way their star plays, whether it's Jalen Key, whether it's Amos, whether it's Malachi Moore, whether it's Caleb Downs. These guys fly around. Malachi Moore, going to be also an NFL draft pick, hopefully, this, this spring. Caleb Downs, only a freshman. We are, without a doubt, seeing the progression of a hopeful hopeful first-round draft pick in a couple years when he is eligible. Malachi Moore flies around, makes tackles plays great in the secondary one-on-one in the slot or with those tight ends and then Caleb Downs really does everything we see him one-on-one we also see his tackling there was a play Saturday where he came up from the secondary made a phenomenal play I mean he was playing in a safety spot about 10 12 yards from the line of scrimmage handoff to the right side Ray Davis is trying to find a hole boom Caleb Downs comes in there flies in makes a tackle for loss I mean, the speed, the instincts that this kid plays with, and the leadership as a freshman that we see from Caleb Downs is absolutely phenomenal. The kid just works his tail off. He's physical. He's athletic. And he knows how to play football. This dude came in just last spring. And when he came in last spring, he was right away working with the working with the, working with the guys, getting in, doing his work, doing his thing. And this defense has been incredible all season we'll talk more about you know the growth this team has made all around but this defense whether it's Kevin Steele whether it's the whole defensive staff the coaching job has been fantastic but the way these kids have just grown and have mentally gotten better learned how to play defense learn how to play together has been phenomenal so that's it for this Kentucky for the Kentucky game from last week I'm gonna take a quick break 
grab a drink. We're going to get into the Chattanooga game today. Not a ton to talk about for that game. Just what this team can do to keep things rolling. And then we're going to talk about the whole season a little bit. Talk about the growth this team has made as a player-led team, as Jalen Monroe said. Then we're going to get into the future, what we've got looking forward. Obviously, we don't want to look ahead of Chattanooga, but we are going to look a little ahead a little bit because we are not on the team. You know, we can talk about things like this. So we're going to go into the Auburn game a little bit, the Georgia game a little bit, and then talk about what things need to happen for us to get into the playoffs. So thank you all for tuning in, and I'll be right back. WVUAFM, Tuscaloosa. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Game Day Show, live here on the campus of the University of Alabama. It is Saturday, November 18th, and I am Nazario Pangallo, and today, Alabama will be taking on the University of Chattanooga at 11 a.m. This is not an SEC game. The first time that we've seen Alabama play a non-SEC team since the South Florida game in September. Man, this team has come a long way from that South Florida game, that's to say the least. But getting into this Chattanooga game, Chattanooga comes in at 7-3, second in the Southern Conference. They are an FCS opponent. They have not played any Power 5 teams. So, This team, obviously, Chattanooga, comes in. Huge underdogs to Alabama. Obviously, not a lot of matchups to talk about in this game. We know Alabama, what they're going to have to do to win this football game, do their thing. But what is it about this game that that means a lot to this season? You know, what does it take to win these football games in the SEC that we've seen? And what does it take to keep the mentality and keep the focus on you know, keep getting better as a team, not worrying about external factors as Nick Saban likes to talk about them. And I think that's what this whole team growth has been about this season. We knew coming into this season that this team was ultra talented. I mean, 18 five-star recruits, the best roster on paper in the country. We knew they had talent. But What has changed from their beginning of the season to now that has taken them from a team that, you know, lost at home to Texas, something that very rare has happened in the Nick Saban era, to taking them to a team that right now looks like a playoff team, a national championship contender. And I think it is all about the mental growth of this team and becoming together as a team early on you had the quarterback questions that's one whole aspect of it the team once that South Florida game ended we have seen this team be set on Jalen Milrow and you know talent wise as a quarterback there's not a huge amount of difference or variation between all the quarterbacks in the room but one thing that this team rallies around is Jalen Milrow and his leadership. He says, Jalen Milrow says this as a player-led team. And he is one of those players that has led this football team. And it's a reason why they're playing so well. It's because this team, after that South Florida game, really bought in to Jalen Milrow. And we've seen the growth as a offense with Jalen Milrow as the quarterback. Obviously, early on, Jalen Milrow is a very... 
emotional, very vocal leader. He gets excited. He gets fired up when this team does something. He loves to get going. We saw that in one of the things that I think Nick Saban saw and his team saw is when he did not play against South Florida, how did he respond? He responded perfectly, absolutely perfectly, getting excited for his teammates doing things, not just about himself and the way he was playing, but no, about the team and the success of the team. That's why this team loves this dude. And they know that this dude will take hits and do what it takes to win football games. Jalen Miro's not shying away from any hits when he goes on the run. That's one of the things this team loves about him. And they embrace his leadership, embrace his mentality, and follow him. And they go to war with him every single day. That offense goes gets after it. And let's talk about the progression of the offense and buying into Jalen Milrow as a quarterback. Tommy Reese. You know, we've said things about the show about him and to be honest, his growth as a play caller has been fantastic this season. I think one of the things that made it more limited early on in the season and in the offseason especially is Tommy Reese was still trying to figure out who his quarterback was, and he had to set his system up to three different quarterbacks that were all vying for this number one spot. Then Jalen Milrow becomes the quarterback, Nick Saban says, for the foreseeable future. Then Tommy Reese gets to learn, okay, I've got my system. What do I do with Jalen Milrow, only Jalen Milrow, to get him to be successful in my system? And we have seen the growth over that. We have seen mixing in the quarterback runs, mixing in, getting him outside of the pocket. And especially in the LSU game is when we saw it come to fruition absolutely turned around maybe it was the bye week maybe it was that having that extra time that we didn't see in the offseason because of the quarterback battle but once we got to LSU we saw them use Jalen Milrow in a whole new way that really made this offense so successful and expand the run game whether it was Jalen Milrow play action boots where he's got the option to dump it off, throw it down the field, or take off, whether it was the quarterback design runs, or whether it was the simple idea of a read option that forced the defensive end to make a decision, which in turn either leads to Jalen Milrow on the outside or Roy Dow Williams, Jason McClellan, Jace Justice Haynes, Marion Miller, whoever is running the football, being able to run up the middle without the threat of the defensive end. All of this has played into success of the run game, which in turn, the run game has expanded the passing attack. This team has been explosive all season in the passing attack. Jay Lamoro has been fantastic throwing the ball down the field. We have seen whether it's getting down the field against Texas A&M, one-on-one Jermaine Burton with his over 200 yards of receiving, or play action and throwing the ball over the middle of the field to Kobe Prentice against Kentucky last week, or the simple idea of having the defenders, the quarterbacks, have to be farther off of the receiver because they know that they can get beat over top, which forces them to not be able to stop this short comeback routes, curl routes, whatever you want to call it. And those have come, and Jalen Murrow's accuracy and his quickness and his timing has also gotten a lot better. We've seen that expand. And this has all led to this offense really coming to fruition and becoming the best version of itself. 
Now, Jalen Milrow has had 10 touchdowns in his past two games, four rushing touchdowns against LSU, and three passing touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, first time in Alabama history against Kentucky. So Jalen Milrow expanded his game, played phenomenal. Let's go to the defense. The defense has made jumps as well. Obviously, we knew coming into the season, defense was going to be the lead, and defense really help this offense be able to talk to do everything that we just talked about able to learn because they knew about their fantastic defense and but this defense has also made a lot of growth in this season as well a lot of it has to do with Kevin Steele and that whole defensive staff learning its own system learning this new system when to bring pressure when to not how to get pressure on the quarterback in different ways how to use your best players aka Braswell and Dallas Turner on the edge how to get them to the quarterback and then we've seen obviously the growth of the secondary Caleb Downs maturing learning to play the college football game learning to play SEC football not getting you know baited against like he did against Texas learning not to do that learning to stay back take let the let the offense take little gains and not hit those big plays so we've seen big plays not be as you know this defense not be as you know letting those up like they did against Texas and the ability to tackle this defense struggled a little bit against Texas to tackle um, you know receivers on the edge like Xavier Worthy but they have done a fantastic job of growing with that they have found a way to really really lead this team and allow this offense to become the best version of itself but also to take you know, the load after the first half where they may struggle and take the second half and really dominate the second half. They let up seven against LSU in the second half after they put up 21 in the first half. Tennessee put up 20 in the first half. 20 in the first half. They put up nothing in the second half. And against Ole Miss, they only put up three in the second half. This defense in the second half really just turns it up to a whole nother level. And that's because I think they go into the locker room at halftime and something is said between these players. Whether it's Jalen Miller coming over and say, hey, defense, we got you this half. We're going we're gonna to step it up. Or maybe it's the defense coming over and say, hey, that's on us. We're letting up 21 points. We're going to step it up right here. They're not getting anything. And it's this camaraderie and it's this team. And it's not, you know, anxiety, stress. They're not freaking out. They know. They know that they are confident in their ability in this game, in their talent, in their abilities, and they're confident in their teammates and who they play with on both sides of the football. The offense trusts that defense. The defense trusts that offense. And that's when they go into halftime. They're not worried about anything. Nick Saban's talked about it. This team, the, 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 he says, this is, it's just a, such a fun team to coach. It's, he says it's nice to come into the locker room and see smiles on kids' faces and not just relief because we did what we were supposed to do. This team loves playing the game. They love going out there, hitting guys, scoring touchdowns, doing whatever it is that they're doing, and they just have fun doing it. And that's why I think they come into halftime not worried about, you know, we got to win this football game. we got to find a way to win more about what do we got to do as a team to get better what do we got to do at our job our personal job and they find ways to do that whether it's the secondary having to oh we need to make a turnover here we need to do something we need to make some better tackles or it's Braswell and Dallas Turner saying hey we got to turn it up we got to get to this quarterback and 
the growth of this team has been fantastic and they're talking they're talking about it all over the country that's why people are looking and saying shoot you know Alabama lost against Texas early in the season we we wrote them off you know we said oh this is not going to be it's not looking good for Alabama and then now people are saying shoot this is still Alabama this team has can win the national championship and it's worrying a lot of people out there that's why Alabama's got to stay focused Limit the external factors, as Nick Saban talks about. Keep it in-house. Keep the mentality the same way that it's been. Stay focused. That's what Nick Saban has talked about this week with the Chattanooga game. They have had incredible momentum. They've obviously been playing a lot better. They get their rhythm going. They don't want to you know, take a step back against Chattanooga because, oh, we're playing Chattanooga at 11 a.m. He wants them to keep that going, keep getting fired up, and keep worrying about this team focusing not worrying focusing on this team getting better and keep growing as a football team and if they keep doing that there is no reason this team cannot hoist another trophy in January I'm gonna take a quick break when we get back we're going to talk about Auburn Georgia and the playoff specifically for Alabama what they need to do to find a way into the final four-team playoff of college football. So thank you all for tuning in and I'll be right back. WVUAFM, Tuscaloosa. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 90.7 WVUA-FM, the capstone. This is the game day show live on the campus of the University of Alabama. I'm Nazario Pangallo, and let's jump in to the future of Alabama football right here. The next two weeks of this season will determine whether this team takes the next step and makes it to the college football playoff. Next week, Alabama will head to Auburn for the Iron Bowl. Auburn right now, 6-4, and four, winners of three in a row. They beat Mississippi State, then they went to Vanderbilt and went to Arkansas and really dominated against Arkansas, which was very shocking. Arkansas coming off a win at Florida, comes home, gets dominated by the Tigers. And then Auburn will play New Mexico State today, which will likely make them 7-4. and four. For me, I think that's a win for Auburn if they go 7-4, and four, Seven and five or eight and four. Hopefully not eight and four. But, anyways, this season at home, Auburn has had to host Georgia and Ole Miss. Both teams, obviously, Georgia number one, Ole Miss sitting at number thirteen right now. Both of those games were only touchdown losses for Auburn. They played both of those teams very close. A lot of people would say that that Georgia game with Auburn was by far their closest game of the season. Georgia did not take the lead in that game until about two, three minutes left in that ballgame with the touchdown to Brock Bowers, which we will get into Georgia in just a little bit. But this Auburn team, obviously, at Jordan-Hare, there is something with that stadium that always seems to make games close with tough opponents, whether it's Georgia or Ole Miss or, of course, in the Iron Bowl against Alabama. Just two years ago was the game that Alabama won in overtime when 
At the end of the fourth quarter, Bryce Young led a phenomenal drive to tie up that game with just under 30 seconds remaining with a beautiful pass to Ja'Cory Brooks. But Auburn this season, if you look at the way this team plays plays the game, it is shaping up for just how they like to pull off upsets. They run the football, and that's exactly what they do. That's their game plan on offense. They are currently number eight in rush percentage. That means they run the ball top 10 amount of, most amount of times in the country. They're also 19th in the country in yards per carry with five yards per carry. They're also top 10 in rushing yards per game. Now, what makes this Auburn team so successful running the football? That's a guy by the name of Peyton Thorne at quarterback or Robbie Ashford when they bring him in the game as well. Neither of these guys are great Runners, none. Or sorry, they are great runners, not great throwers. Both of them have struggled a little bit throwing the football. Peyton Thorne has thrown 200 passes this year, only completing 63.5% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, seven interceptions. But they run the ball with a lot of guys. Peyton Thorne currently the second leading rusher on this team. Robbie Ashford the fourth leading rusher on this team. Both of these guys mix it up. But their leading guy, their bell cow, Jarquez Hunter, currently has 744 yards, averaging six yards per carry. That is an astronomical number. Six yards a carry. Phenomenal. He's also got seven touchdowns on the season. This team can mix it up with their quarterbacks, their motion, jet sweeps, a lot of this different stuff that they throw at you. And this team finds ways to run the football. Another way that this team has been had success is their number th- 24 in the country in turnover margin. They find ways to get to the quarterback. They find ways to force turnovers. They find a way to either get interceptions or fumbles. They struggle a little bit against the run. Right now, their defense is 87th in the country in yards per carry allowed and number 77 in rushing yards per game allowed. But they are 32nd in passing yards allowed per game. So clearly this team thrives with getting to the passer and covering wide receivers in the secondary. They can be had a little bit in the inside interior running the football. So how does Alabama go to Jordan-Hare and make sure that they don't walk away with a stunning loss and eliminate their playoff chances? Well, it starts on the defensive end. Obviously, against Kentucky, they stopped the run game. Against LSU, however, they had some success running the football, particularly Jaden Daniels and his ability to run outside the pocket when pass plays break down. Peyton Thorne has the ability to do this as well, and that's what we saw him have success um, against Georgia. So... It's going to be very, very, very key for this defensive line to stay in their stay in their lanes, not get outside, not get too far up the field on the edges, and also to make sure those linebackers have their eyes on Peyton Thorne. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of man coverage played by this secondary, and that's okay because they play phenomenal man coverage. We do not want to get them out of their game plan. You would never want to switch that up. But it's key for this linebacker core and for these defensive linemen to keep their eyes on Peyton Thorne and get, get to the quarterback as well. Now, they got to find a way to stop Jarquez Hunter. I think Tim Keenan, I think that's in t- that interior defensive line has done phenomenal all season. But it's going to be key to not let them get ahead of the chains, get short third downs, and be able to convert with some trickery probably on third downs, short third downs particularly. It's going to be a key to keep them away from that, keep them third long, obviously. Make Peyton Thorne sit in the pocket and make throws, which he has struggled with all season, struggled with his whole career, whether it was at Michigan State or whether it was at Auburn. 
And, you know, Hugh Freeze, they have a phenomenal coach. He's going to have that team riled up. Obviously, obviously, this is the Iron Bowl. That crowd is going to be wild. But you have to find a way to take the crowd out of the football game. How can the offense do that? Well, they can do that by doing the exact thing that Auburn is going to try to do. Run the football, convert on third downs. When do crowds get the loudest? Third downs. What drains crowds most? Third down conversions. And that's what one thing that Jalen Milrow has been fantastic in his decision-making, whether it is getting outside of the pocket and seeing defenders with eyes on the receivers or whether they have eyes on him dropping it off to his running back or making a throw to a receiver or simply taking off and getting the first down that is the way you take the crowd out of it and you get ahead early you don't let them stay in this football game and think that they're in this and think that they can play with them will Alabama be able to do this I think they will because this team has it between the ears this team mentally knows what they're doing they stay focused they do not let up they keep on playing and we've seen them pull away from games late multiple times whether it was Tennessee pulling away late with that big Jihad Campbell fumble return or and then sorry after that being able to get another stop to not let Tennessee pull back to within a touchdown or LSU the offense never letting up and keep adding more points this team finishes football games one thing they were not able to do against Texas finish that game they had the lead going into the fourth quarter let it fall away they learned from it this team has learned from its mistakes learned to grow learned to finish football games Ole Miss obviously they were down at halftime they take the lead Ole Miss never was able to stay stay close with them in the second half really now that's the Auburn game that's the Iron Bowl that is an incredibly important game obviously to keep the playoff chances alive then the week after that Alabama will head to Atlanta to Mercedes-Benz Stadium to face Georgia the defending national two-time national champs currently on a 27 game win streak we will get to them and their game from last week and also their game that they have this week in Neyland Stadium against the Volunteers but looking ahead for Alabama against this Georgia team you have the two most talented rosters in the entirety of college football you have Kirby Smart against Nick Saban Alabama in this stadium two years ago that is beat Georgia Jamison Williams huge game Bryce Young, huge game. That is the last game that Georgia has lost. It has been that long since Georgia has lost a football game. And who better to knock them off their incredible win streak, their incredible run, than the Alabama Crimson Tide? Why can they do this? Because their defense is fantastic. Carson Beck and the Georgia offense have not faced a defense like Alabama yet this season. They've faced some decent defenses, whether it be Auburn at Jordan-Hare, Ole Miss in their defense at times can be good. But Georgia has not faced the athleticism in the secondary that Alabama brings to the table. They've also never faced the pass rush that Dallas Turner, Chris Bas- Braswell, Justin Agoibly, Tim Keenan all bring to the table. It is going to be extremely tough for this Georgia offense to find ways to score. Caleb Downs, Malachi Moore, they're going to have to step up and guard Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers, he's back. First game was back last week against Ole Miss. We'll talk about that in a little bit. They're going to have to find ways to cover him, but also Lad McConkney, Dominic Lovett. Those guys have been very, very successful, especially when Brock Bowers went out with injury. Carson Peck was still able to throw the football around with just those guys as his targets. But this Alabama defense is on another level. 
they're not ready for the Alabama defense. They're going to have to get used to it. And that's where Alabama has to take advantage early on when this Georgia offense is trying to figure things out. They have to get down the field and have to score touchdowns in the red zone like Ole Miss did. Ole Miss, let's be honest, they got destroyed in that game last week. But still, early on in that game, they were able to score touchdowns in the red zone early on. Gwyneth Duncans had two rushing touchdowns early on in that game. Alabama is going to have to find ways into the end zone, whether it be with the brotherly shove that they've included now into the offense, whether it's when they're in fourth and one situations or on the goal line, and those have been very successful, whether it's mixing it up with those read options, or maybe it's finding a way to get Jermaine Burton one-on-one with the cornerbacks. Now, also, this Georgia defense hasn't fully been tested early on against Ole Miss we saw some success from Ole Miss second half the offense kind of takes the ball away from Ole Miss they're not able to have as much success as the momentum is completely shifted to Georgia Georgia has obviously a fantastic football team vying for their third straight national championship but let's talk about playoff scenarios if Georgia and Alabama go into this game. Georgia ranked number one in the country. At that point, if they're still undefeated, they will be on a 29-game win streak. Alabama, what if they come in and they knock off Georgia? Is there a possibility that they do not get into the playoff? It is a very real question to answer at this point in the season. And why? Why is that a question? Alabama wins the SEC championship. They should be a shoe in right? Not this year. Right now, there are currently five Power 5 teams that are undefeated. Most likely, if Alabama beats Georgia, there will only be three, hopefully only one or two left for Alabama. They need some losses to happen to be a shoe-in into the playoff. Now, first off, external factors, right? Cannot focus on that if you're Alabama football, the Alabama football team. But us outsiders looking in, we can talk about these things. Alabama needs to worry about beating Chattanooga, Auburn, and Georgia. Sitting there at 12-1 and SEC championship with your only loss way back in week two. And that makes a big difference. Recency is a lot. It goes into it a lot. And the way that this team has grown will go into it a lot, into the discussion of the committee. But right now you've got... The number two and number three teams in the nation in Ohio State and Michigan. One of them has to lose. They play each other next week. One of them has to lose that game. There are no ties. There are no two winners in a football game. One of them is going to lose. So that will knock Ohio State or Michigan below Alabama if they were to beat Georgia in the SEC championship because of that big win over Georgia. But one of them will still be sitting there as an undefeated Big Ten Championship buying that none of them lose in the Big Ten Championship to Iowa, which would be shocking if one of them lost to Iowa, considering that team cannot score on offense. They can't move the football at all. Anyways, but one of those teams will be more than likely the number one overall seed as they will be undefeated and a Big Ten champ, either Ohio State or Michigan. Next is Florida State, currently sitting there at number four in the country, 10-0. and They played North Alabama this week. That should, if they lose that game, that would be an unreal thing that happens. But they will more than likely 
beat North Alabama. Then they play Florida next week, which will make them 12-0 if they win that game. That game is in the swamp, though. We'll talk a little bit about it later. But if they win that game and they also win in the ACC championship, Florida State could be a 12-0 ACC championship, Power 5 champion. They would be in the playoff as an undefeated team. There is no reason that Alabama would be able to jump them just because of their undefeated record and their big win over LSU early in this season. That's obviously LSU not quite played up to, you know, SEC championship expectations as they had coming off their SEC West championship last year, but still a very good win for Florida State and the way that they did it, beating them by 21 and dominating in the second half. Next, we have Washington and Oregon. Washington and Oregon both currently ranked above Alabama. Even though Oregon has is a one-loss team, they are still ranked ahead of Alabama. What does that mean? Well, that means if Oregon runs the table, they go 12 and 1. They avenge their loss to Washington, who is a power f- or sorry, is a top 5 team. That win will elevate them. And does the Georgia win really hold that much weight to push Alabama over Oregon in that scenario? I'm not sure. I would say no because you're avenging your only loss right there. And you've looked very dominant, to be honest, the rest of their season. They look like a very complete team. I'm not sure Alabama would be able to jump them with their win over Georgia, vying that Oregon has, revenges their win over Washington. However, if all Washington runs the table and goes undefeated, they would be a shoe-in as well as a 12-0 Pac-12 championship with two wins over top 10 opponents in the same team of Oregon. They would be in. And then you have the debate that is going to be talked about for two and a half weeks until this is all settled, and that is Texas and Alabama. Texas, right now, sitting there at 9-1, and one, play Iowa State this weekend, and then they go at home against Texas Tech next week. If they run the table, if they go 12-1, and one, if they're Big 12 champions, how do you put them not in the playoff because of their win over Alabama? If you're sitting there with those three undefeated teams in either Ohio State and Michigan, Florida State, and then Washington, or even Oregon, those are your first three teams, and then you've got to make a choice, whether it is 12-1, Big 12 champion, Texas, or 12-1, SEC champion, Alabama. This conversation could go so many different ways. Obviously, Texas comes in to Tuscaloosa, beats Alabama in week two. However... The conversation on the Alabama side, their argument, our argument, is, well, we've gotten a lot better since then. We have looked a lot better. We have grown as a team. We are dominating. Texas has had a little bit of some some tight ball games, whether it was the Kansas State game where they blew a, almost blew a 27-7 lead late in that ball game. Big Kansas State goes for two in overtime to win that football game. In Austin, do not come. Obviously, Texas finds a way to win. And last week against TCU, Texas up 26 to six, allow 24th quarter points, only come away with a 29-26 win against uh, TCU. So these close games not looking as dominant. Does that give Alabama enough edge to sneak past them in this playoff? I don't know the answer. I'm not going to say I know the answer. That's all the committee. We will see what happens. 
Another part of that is last year, we saw Ohio State and TCU both get into the playoff as Ohio State, a team that lost in their division, did not even make it to a conference championship game. They made the playoff, and then TCU loses in the Big 12 championship, and they're still able to find a way into the playoff. This year, you could have a Georgia one-loss Georgia that lost in their uh, SEC championship not get into the playoff. You could have Ohio State or Michigan, a team that only loss is to the number one team in the country if Georgia were to lose. It's going to be a top two loss. Either Ohio State loses to Michigan or Michigan loses to Ohio State. That's the only loss, and they're not going to make the playoff. Or you could have Texas, one loss, not make the playoff. You could have Washington as a one-loss team that lost in the Pac-12 championship, not make the playoff. This is things that have not happened. You have teams outside of the playoff, multiple teams, that have legitimate arguments in recent years that they would very well make the playoff in recent years. And that's the difference between this season and all these other seasons. There are about seven, eight teams that are really, really good football teams. And it's very, very interesting to see that. And it's going to be very interesting to see how the rest of this season plays out. There are a few teams that if you're an Alabama football fan that you are rooting for right now. Number one is Oregon State. Oregon State plays Washington tonight in Corvallis at home. We will talk about that game a little bit later. And then they play Oregon Next week, if there are two scenarios where Alabama benefits from Oregon State, number one would be obviously if they win both of those, excuse me, both of those football games, they knock out Washington and Oregon at the same time. Then you have that would obviously clear both of those teams out for Alabama. Secondly, if they're able to beat Washington knock their resume down a little bit, and then Washington beats Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, you're looking at a one-loss Washington. Likely, Alabama will get in over them. So that's one is your – we are huge Oregon State Beaver fans right now, rooting for them in all of their games. And then we are rooting for Iowa State, Texas Tech, and whoever plays – Texas in the Big 12 championship or if they were to make it if one of those teams pulls off an upset Alabama won't have to worry about the Texas debate they would be in over Texas obviously if they have two losses thirdly is the ACC you got it so right now Florida State plays as we just said North Alabama this this week there is no chance that North Alabama wins that football game, so we can't really root for them next week, though. Not, you not said this a lot of times, Alabama fans, but huge Florida Gator fans next week. Florida State has to go to the swamp, need Florida to pull an upset to knock Florida State out, or the ACC championship. Florida State will play either, more than likely, Louisville, the Louisville Cardinals, or either North Carolina or some other teams if there was a crazy tiebreaker going on in that conference. Whoever plays in the ACC Championship or Florida need them to pull off an upset against Florida State just to make the path vividly clear for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Most importantly, handle business today in Bryant-Denny Stadium against Chattanooga. That game coming up in two hours. And then handle business in Jordan-Hare next week at Auburn. And then obviously a huge game 
in Atlanta against the Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC Championship. All right, so that's all I got talking about Alabama football. You heard, you know, recapping the Kentucky football game, talking about a little bit about Chattanooga and the growth this team has made over the season, and then obviously talking about Auburn, Georgia, and all these different playoff scenarios that we get to talk about until Selection Sunday. Now, that's the end of the first hour of the show. We have more to jump into. We're going to talk about week 11. We're going to talk about Georgia Ole Miss, Michigan, Penn State. Michigan finally plays a good opponent. Washington, Utah, Missouri, Tennessee, and the whole Big 12. All the chaos in the Big 12. Who is going to play Texas in the Big 12 championship? Then we'll jump into week 12. We've got some good matchups here. Georgia goes to Neyland. Washington heads to Oregon State. Then we'll talk a little bit about what we got in Rivalry Week next week. We've got three fantastic games for us. Oregon State heads to Oregon. And then the game in the big house, Ohio State at Michigan. Thank you all for tuning in. I'll be right back. Roll time. WVUAFM, Tuscaloosa. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 90.7 WVFM, The Capstone. This is the game day show. I'm Zario Pengallo. Just got done talking about Alabama football, giving you all the information about Alabama, Kentucky, Alabama, Chattanooga, talking about the next two weeks, Auburn and Georgia, and all the playoff scenarios that are going to be going down in these final weeks of the college football season. Let's talk about all of college football. Let's go back to week 11. Just last week, we had a top 10 matchup between the Ole Miss Rebels and the Georgia Bulldogs early in this game. Looked like we might have a shootout going. Ole Miss tied up the game 14-14 to with 14 minutes left in the second quarter. Georgia would then outscore the Rebels the rest of the game 38-3 to to finish a 52-17 to route of Ole Miss. This Georgia offense was absolutely on fire. Carson Beck 306 passing yards, 2 point or sorry, 12.2 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, and then this rushing attack got going, got going. Over 600 yards of total offense for Georgia, over 300 on the ground, 8.6 per carry. Kendall Milton, only 9 carries, 127 yards, 14.1 per Carey rushing attack was running all over the Rebels. Then Lad McCockney, four catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Brock Bowers also comes back, catches a touchdown as well. And there's one thing got to say about this offense of Georgia so far. They've just been elite. Carson Beck has been playing an elite level of quarterback. They're currently number six in the country in points per game and yards per game. Number four in the country in yards per play. Number nine in yards per carry. They do it all. They run the football. They pass the football. Carson Beck in particular. Top five in completion percentage. Top ten in passing yards per game. He is not 
a super flashy quarterback. He's not going to get outside of the pocket, make plays with his feet. But when he sits inside the pocket, he makes reads, he gets the ball to the, uh, the open receiver, and they make plays after the catch. And they just make plays. They obviously got to run the football. Then they get off their play action. They hit some deep shots down the field. And this offense just gets rocking and rolling. They are currently number six in sack percentage allowed this offensive line obviously Kirby Smart recruits very well at the line of scrimmage this offensive line keeps Carson Beck protected and they just do a fantastic job running the football and then throwing the ball as well they have scored 30 plus points in each of their last five games this offense is rolling for Georgia and they also stopped Ole Miss's attack offensive attack after letting them score 14 points early on in this game, three for the rest of the game, held Jackson Dart to just 112 yards passing, also only 20 yards rushing. A lot of people going into that game said, well, Peyton Thorne did it against him at Auburn. He was able to run the ball. Let's see what Jackson Dart can do. Jackson Dart cannot run the football. Eight carries, 20 yards. That's it. They also held Quinson Jukins at 3.4 yards per carry, only 75 yards. This Georgia team, they're complete. They are hitting their stride. They are playing their best football late in this season. We saw early on this Georgia offense, this Georgia defense as well, have a little bit of some struggles early on, didn't play great competition, really trying to get there mentally, trying to get up to the game, trying to find ways to play at their best. And late in this game or late in this season when they've been challenged, where they come into the game, you know, they got they got Florida they got Missouri, they got Ole Miss, they've stepped it up to another level. They've played up to their competition. They've exceeded their competition. That Missouri game last week, by the way, very interesting considering they only beat Missouri 30-21. Then they come out and dominate Ole Miss 52-17. Wow, Georgia looks good. The Bulldogs look fantastic. Next, we go to Happy Valley. Michigan goes in to Penn State without Coach Jim Harbaugh, who has been suspended for that game and the next two games of the season today and next week against Ohio State. But it does not matter. Michigan beats Penn State 24-15 to in a, really, a game that you could say looked like the 1960s or 70s. There was neither quarterback threw the ball for over 100 yards. <laughs> Drew Aller of Penn State was held to 70 yards, 3.2 yards per pass. 3.2 yards per pass. That is unbelievable. Next, they held Penn State to 4 of 14 on third down, and they held him to only 238 yards of total offense. Late in this game, they obviously were able to score a touchdown with, I believe, under four minutes remaining. A lot of their yards came from that. But before that, the Michigan defense stymied the Penn State offense in every way. On the George, or on the Michigan side of this football game, they were able to run the football, and their defense was able to be physical, shut down Catron Allen and Nicholas, Nicholas Singleton. But in this second half, Michigan did not attempt a single pass. They ran the ball 46 times this game. They threw the ball eight times. Eight times. They ran for 227 yards, 4.9 per carry, three touchdowns. Blake Corum, who walked out of this game with a bloody cut on his head, was bleeding during the press conference after the game. 26 carries, 145 yards, 5.6 per carry, two touchdowns. Donovan Edwards also added 52 yards and a touchdown on the ground. And J.J. McCarthy, although... 
Although he did not throw the ball many times, he was still 7 of 8. So he did his work when he was <laughs> when he was called on. But also, third downs. There was multiple times during this game where he had to get a third down conversion with his legs. He was able to do so, make some guys miss, get the first down. One thing about this, people are going to say, Michigan can't throw the football. Well, they threw the ball eight times. They can only run it. Well, that is one side of the story, but that's not the whole side of the story. They realized early on that this Penn State, this team is fast. They're athletic. This defense is phenomenal. They realized, Michigan realized early on, they were going to struggle to stop Penn State's pass rush. If you saw early on, J.J. McCarthy was pressured on their first couple dropbacks. They realized, okay, we're going to struggle to run the pass the football. Let's just run it, and let's just run it. And let's just keep running it. And they just can't stop us. Let's just keep on doing it. These were tough yards, though. Penn State was not giving them eight yards of carry like Ole Miss was to Georgia. They had to go and fight for every single yard. Blake Corm had to go in there, fight among the boys. The big boys are out there. He's getting hit every single play, finding ways to get extra yards, finding ways to convert first downs. And they were able to really battle through this football game. Really able to show, yep, we're, we can beat the big dogs. Penn State... On their side, you come into the season, you know, there's two teams that you look at every year for Penn State that you got to beat. There's the two guys you're looking up to, Michigan and Ohio State. You beat everybody else, and you can't beat either Michigan or Ohio State. So on that side of Penn State, a little bit disappointing for them. They obviously thought they were going to have a shot to really challenge those two teams. And to be to be honest, both of those games, Penn State versus Ohio State, Penn State versus Michigan, you never really said that Penn State was really in the football game because of their offensive struggles. They Drew Aller did not look very comfortable in either of those games. They couldn't really get Catron Allen, Nicholas Singleton going in either of those games as well. They just weren't very explosive on offense. Now they did fire their offensive coordinator Sunday, see if some changes happen. But obviously Penn State – they're chalking up their season looking, shoot, we got to go build in the offseason, find a way to beat these two guys next year. Now, this defense of Penn State, they're a national championship winning defense. They played, they held Michigan 24 points, held Ohio State only 20 points as well. So there's a lot of upside. They just got to find a way to score, but they can know they can do it on the defensive side against these two programs. Michigan, obviously, this is an emotional win for them. Coming off all the things that are going on with the sign stealing, with Jim Harbaugh, all of that. But from a player standpoint, this is incredibly impressive. You're without your head coach. You have all these outside things going on. To be honest, it's not like the players are going out there and stealing signs. They are just following, you know, their coaches say, oh, we know this sign. Here you go. They don't really tell them exactly what in the world is going on, how in the world that's all going down. So as just on the player side, this is incredibly impressive from Michigan with all these things going on. They obviously have a huge game next week, but sandwiched in between these, between these two rivalry games between Penn State and Ohio State, they go and play Maryland. Maryland played them very well last year. We will see if they are focused, Michigan is focused enough to go to Maryland and keep their undefeated season going and their playoff chances alive. We will talk about Ohio State-Michigan in just a moment. Now, let's get to another game out there, out west, up there in Washington. Washington down against Utah 28-24 at halftime. And one thing that we have not talked about a lot, the Washington defense comes alive in the second half and shuts out the Utes. They were down 28-24 at the half, looking like, nope, here's another upset coming inbound. Nope. 
Washington finds a way. 35-28, sorry. Washington stays undefeated against Utah. Washington defense was able to pick off Bryson Barnes twice in this game. One that was nearly returned for a touchdown, but... Ball was dropped at the one-yard line. Utah would get the ball back. But to seal the game, Washington would pick off Bryson Barnes once again. Michael Penix keeps his Heisman candidacy going as he would throw for 332 yards and two touchdowns. Future first-round draft pick, Rome Adunaze, three catches, 111 yards, two touchdowns, multiple big plays in this game that really helped this team. This team loves to hit their big plays. It's what they're credited on. It's what they it's what they do in the passing game. That's because they have three fantastic NFL caliber wide receivers. Dylan Johnson, though, also added 104 rushing yards. Their rushing attack, although it's not great, they're not running for over 200 a game. They're not as balanced like Oregon is. But they are still able to run the football in some way. We talked about it with the Oregon-Washington game. Dylan Johnson being able to run for 100 yards, being able to throw that Oregon defense off a little bit, where you know they have to key in a little bit on Dylan Johnson or they're just going to run the ball. And then Michael Penix can pull it out, throw it on those one-on-ones to his receivers who seemingly make any one-on-one catch that is thrown their way. But moving ahead, the SEC, a game that – Really, it shocked a lot of people. Missouri throttles Tennessee 36-7. to 36-7 in Columbia, Missouri. Missouri outgained Tennessee 530-350. to And one thing that Tennessee has been credited on in the Josh Heupel era is their ability to run the football. Well, that was shut down against Missouri. They were outrushed 255-83. to Tennessee 3.6 yards per carry. He came into this game talking about Jalen Wright. What a fantastic running back he is for Tennessee, which he is, but it was really the Cody Schrader show. If you don't know about Cody Schrader, former Division II running back, star in Division II, walks on at Missouri, finds a way, starting this year for them, and he had one of the best games a running back has had all season. 35 carries, 205 yards, 6 yards a carry, 1 touchdown. But that's not it. 5 catches, 116 yards out of the backfield. Cody Schrader, what a performance. This Missouri team into the top 10 now. Number 9 in the new college football rankings. What a fantastic job this Missouri coaching staff has done with this team. They, so far, have given Georgia their most tough test at home. They really challenged the Bulldogs two weeks ago in between the hedges in Sanford Stadium. Now, obviously, they fell in that game. But still, this Missouri team, wow. And they get Brady Cook back next year. More than likely, they will get Luther Burden, their NFL future NFL wide receiver as well. They will get him back next season. We will see what Missouri can do next season in the SEC. But right now, let's give them credit where their credit is due. They are currently 8-2, having a phenomenal season. Very well on their way to a New Year's Six Bowl game this season. I don't even know the last time that Missouri has done that. Congratulations, Missouri. Keep it going. All right, let's move to the Big 12. 
obviously two weeks ago in Bedlam in Oklahoma State's stadium. Oklahoma State knocked off Oklahoma, eliminated their playoff chances, and bounced Oklahoma State up to number two in the Big 12 rankings. People sitting there, Ollie Gordon, put him in the Heisman race, baby. Ollie Gordon's going off. He's having fantastic performances. Oklahoma State's going to go take down Texas in the Big 12 championship. Well, wait. You still got to go to Orlando. You still got to play the Central Florida Knights. Gus Malzahn takes down Oklahoma State in an absolutely dominating fashion. 45-3, UCF dominates Oklahoma State. Wow. Did not see this coming. Oklahoma State came into that game as two-and-a-half-point favorites. People are sitting there like, two-and-a-half-point favorites. They just beat Oklahoma. They're on a huge winning streak. They're playing fantastic football. Two-and-a-half-point favorites at UCF. Well, obviously, UCF should have been favored in this game as they take down the Cowboys, which makes the Big 12 title game race very interesting. Kansas, the Jayhawks, playing with their third-string quarterback, were upset at home by Texas Tech on a game-winning field goal. This just meshes up the Big 12 title game race. Someone's got to play Texas in Jerry World later this later this season. There are four teams right now in the Big 12, all tied at 5-2. and two. You got Oklahoma State, the Cowboys, still right there, still holding the tiebreakers, but you got right on their rear ends, Oklahoma, Iowa State, yes, Iowa State, the Cyclones, and Kansas State, all tied at 5-2. and two. Let's go over who these teams play in the future. Oklahoma may be the easiest rest of the season. They play at BYU and TCU. Both very winnable games for Oklahoma. Oklahoma, obviously, they had a lot of hype coming off their big win in the Red River rivalry against Texas. They, unfortunately, fell twice to Kansas and Oklahoma. Now, when people thought their season was over, they can bounce back, find a way into the Big 12 championship game, play Texas once again. Oklahoma State, they head to Houston, who, you know, gave Texas a great fight there. And Dana Holgerson, people are people are talking about his job security right now. So this is a big game for Houston. They got to find a way to get things off the, you know, not get themselves off the mat, get back up, fight against Oklahoma State. Then the Cowboys will host BYU in their final game. If Oklahoma State wins these two football games, they will be in the Big 12 championship. They have the tiebreakers over the other teams. They have wins over Kansas State, and they have a win over Oklahoma, which tiebreakers matter. Head-to-head gives them an advantage. They win those two football games. They'll be heading to play Texas. Iowa State, possibly the toughest route left, but two very good opportunities. Iowa State tonight. Get your Cyclone gear on, fellas. Iowa State hosts Texas. They can knock off Texas, eliminate their playoff chances, but also elevate their chances to make the Big 12 championship. The Cyclones play Texas, then they head to Kansas State. If they win both these games, they will have a very good shot to head to the Big 12 championship. Then the Wildcats of Kansas State, they head to Lawrence to play their rivals, Kansas. Both top 25 teams. When is the last time that Kansas-Kansas State has been a top 25 matchup? I have no clue, but this is what we have this weekend. Kansas State, Kansas. Rivalry matchup. Both top 25 teams. Both still trying to keep their Big 12 championship hopes alive. Then Kansas State will host Iowa State after that with a very good chance to make their way into the Big 12 championship. 
Two weeks left in the season, regular season. There's a lot to play for in the Big 12. We will see how that all plays out as well. I'm going to take a quick break. That was your Week 11 recap. That was your Big 12 title race updates if you were interested in that at all but when we get back we will talk about week 12 all the fantastic games we have this week georgia at tennessee washington and oregon state and then get in to rivalry week next week oregon state oregon ohio state michigan the game we'll be right back thank you all for tuning in WVUAFM, Tuscaloosa. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 90.7 WVUAFM, the Capstone. This is the Game Day Show live on the campus of the University of Alabama. We just got done talking about week 11 all the games that happened last week in the college football season. This is week 12, though, on a beautiful November 18th, Saturday morning. We have a couple of good games, including Georgia and Tennessee in Neyland Stadium. Let's look at the Vols side first. The Vols have won 14 in a row at Neyland Stadium, including... Unfortunately for us Alabama fans, an upset loss or an upset win for Georgia or sorry, an upset win for Tennessee over Alabama last week. The last time this Tennessee team lost was in 2021 to Georgia. Tennessee this season has given up 99 points in its three losses. All on the road, though. As Tennessee fans, though, you look at three games every season as a rating for how well you all played. It's between the big three, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. Obviously, they lost to Florida. Obviously, they lost to Alabama. They're trying to avoid going 0-3 in their big three. This is a monumental game for Tennessee and for Josh Heupel. He's got to find a way to get a win. They have lost six straight to Georgia and 11 of the past 13 in this series. Obviously, Tennessee offense, they are ride or die with their run game. Right now, they're currently sixth in yards per carry, seventh in rushing yards per game in the country. That is how they get their offense going. If they space you out, limit the amount of people you're allowed to put in the box, inside the tackle box, obviously, and they're able to run the football because they have more numbers than you in the box. They have to be able to run the football. It makes their play-action deep passing game work, and it lets Joe Milton get comfortable and get in rhythm. However, we've seen in their losses them not be able to run the football at Florida, at Alabama, at Missouri. They have struggled to run the football. If they can't run the football against Georgia, this game will not be very close. Josh Heupel is able to find ways for this team to run the football. There's a very good chance they can make this game very close. Do I think they will be able to? Behind that crowd, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And if you look at Georgia, they have played two true road games this season. Early on, they went to Auburn. They only won 27-20. to 
Then they went to Vanderbilt, 137 to 20. Went up 20 points against Vanderbilt, you know. Interesting, very interesting. When they face a hostile crowd, when Carson Beck, if James Pierce and Tyler Barron are able to get to the quarterback, make him a little riled up, shake him a little bit, let the crowd get in, get in his head. You never know what can happen. If you're Georgia, you got to stay focused. Keep eye on the prize. Keep this win streak going. Obviously, do your thing. Stop the Tennessee run game. Make them throw the football. Easy game plan for Georgia if you're looking at it on the outside. Will they be able to do this? I do not know. Tennessee, when they play at home, it's a whole different team. It's a whole different team. They're trying to avenge that loss that they had last year as the number one team in the country at the time with Hendon Hooker. They went to Sanford Stadium. Unfortunately, Georgia defeated them. Georgia kept on winning that season. Now Georgia comes in as the number one team in the nation. What happened the last time the number one team in the nation went to Neyland? Well, unfortunately, there was a goalpost thrown into a river. I think we all remember that, and we all know what I'm talking about. Can Tennessee do it again? Obviously, we would love, to, as Alabama fans, to be able to say, yeah, Georgia fans, how's it feel over there to have a goalpost thrown into the stadium when you get beat? Eh, we'll never know. We may never know. We may never know, because I think Georgia will go in there, handle their business. Kirby Smart will have this team focused and find a way to win another football game. But... 2.30 p.m., turn on your channel to CBS. See what the Vols and Josh Heupel can do at home with their crowd backing behind them, those volunteer faithful. All right, let's move to a nightcap we got. Washington, the Huskies, 10-0 for the first time since 1991. Michael Penix still with his Heisman candidacy on the line. They will head to Corvallis, Oregon to face the Oregon State Beavers and DJ Ubiungale. Now, the weather in Corvallis, scheduled for 39 degrees, 12-mile-an-hour wind gust, and an 84% chance of rain. If this doesn't play into an upset beautifully, I don't know what does because this plays right into the Oregon State style of football. This team loves to run the ball. They got dudes that can run the ball. They got Damian Martinez averaging 6.6 yards per carry. And then their their secondary back, Deshaun Fenwick, 5.8 yards per carry. This team is number 14 in the country in yards per carry. The key for them is just what we talked about earlier with Tennessee and Auburn and their game plans to pull off shocking upsets. Control the game. Limit possessions. Be able to run the football. Gain first downs. Get that crowd behind you if you're Oregon State. That is a tough place to play. They have beaten Utah and UCLA in Corvallis at home. Both teams were ranked at that time. But, obviously, you want to be able to run the football. It's going to be on DJ, Huey Ungle's arms, arm and leg, to make plays in this football game. He is currently 58.6% completion percentage this season. That is not the greatest numbers. Yet, he has 20 touchdown passes, 4 interceptions. So, he's had his success. However, he cannot be this ineffective passing the football. He has got to be more inef- more efficient in this football game. Keep them ahead of the chains where they're able to run the football. They cannot, you know, play action, take a shot. 
They're able to hit some big plays, but if they're not open, he's got to be able to check it down, stay ahead of the chain so that they can keep running the football. We saw what happened when they went to Washington State, and they had to throw the ball a lot. They lost in a shootout 38-35. They have to be able to run the football, control the line of scrimmage, but this defense of Oregon State has struggled a little bit against the pass. They are 50 in the, 50th in the country in yards per pass allowed. We obviously know Washington likes to hit their big plays. They also are number 82 in passing yards allowed per game. So their secondary is going to be tested more than it ever has all season against these animals that Washington has at wide receiver. But if you're looking at Oregon State, they are 8th in the country in sack percentage. So... You know, maybe your secondary isn't playing great, but you're able to get to the quarterback. The quarterback doesn't have time to throw the football. Obviously, they're not going to have success throwing the ball down the field. So, if you're Oregon State, run the football, limit possessions, and let that pass attack, passing attack get after Michael Penix. Now, on the Washington side, if you look at their season so far, they dominated their first four games. They really you know, kind of destroyed everybody. Then, their past six games have all been decided by 10 points or less. Why is this? Well, there's been different reasons why. Against Arizona State, their offense struggled. Against Utah early on, against USC, and against Stanford, the defense struggled a little bit. But, however, they have remained unscathed. They have found ways to win football games in different ways. And that's the mark of a great team, a team that finds ways to win in different ways, just like the Alabama Crimson Tide. Let's look at this Washington offense right now. Let's start with their better half. They are number five in points and yards per game. Number two in yards per play. They obviously have Michael Penix. Heisman candidate right now. He's currently number one in the country with over 3,500 yards, number six in yards per pass, number four in the country in touchdowns with 28 touchdowns. Most importantly for this Washington offense, their receiver Jalen McMillan, who has not played a lot since the Oregon game, been dealing with an injury. He returned against Utah, played some limited snaps. He is expected to play a larger role on Saturday. That is huge, huge for this Washington offense. Not only do they have Rome Adunze, not only do they have Jalen Polk, Adunze number three, Jalen Polk number 11 in the country in receiving yards. Not only do they have, they have those two, but they have Jalen McMillan, extremely explosive. Washington coaches have talked about, they love to run him deep. Because that makes the safeties have a tough decision. Do they stay deep with him or do they let those underneath routes come in? And that's where Jalen Polk and Romeo Dunze hit those medium routes because they got Jalen McMillan going deep. Or explosiveness. Now they'll have Romeo Dunze and Jalen McMillan on both sides going deep. That's where you see Michael Penix say, okay, I got my one-on-one matchup. Let me throw it up to one of my dudes. They're going to go get that ball. That's where they've had a lot of success all season. That's where we saw a lot of success against Oregon with these receivers just being able to make plays, just being able to make plays. But, unfortunately, on defense, they have not been able to make as many plays. This team is number 92 in yards allowed per game, number 69 in yards per play allowed, number 83 in yards per carry allowed, number 122 in the country in passing yards allowed per game. This defense has struggled. Their statistics don't show it. 
or the statistics do show it. They have struggled. But they have made plays when they have had to. In that Oregon game, Oregon outgained Washington by over 100 yards. But what did that Washington defense do? They made plays on fourth down. They had three or four fourth down stops that gave the ball back to Washington and limited Oregon from scoring points. Phenomenal plays by Washington's defense. Against Stanford, they made a few plays. Against Arizona State, they had a pick six that put the game away. They find ways to make plays. Utah, second half, limited them, shut them out. No points. So although their statistics don't, they show that they let up a lot of yards, which they do. They find ways to make plays. Oregon State, though, comes into this game favored by two and a half points. I'm going to say Washington. I think Washington goes into Corvallis, keeps this undefeated season rocking and rolling, finds a way to win at Oregon State puts themselves in great position to make the college football playoff for the first time since 2015. The first or the only team to make the college football playoff from the Pac-12. This is the last year for the Pac-12 to get a team in before it becomes the Pac-2. I think Washington gets a win this win tonight. I think they find a way. Then they will have Washington State next week in the Apple Cup before they head to the Pac-12 championship to more than likely play the Oregon Ducks. All right, let's move to the ACC. We have Louisville going to Miami. Louisville currently sitting as the number 10 team in the country. 9-1 on the season. An absolutely fantastic season from Louisville. Greatly exceeded expectations for Jeff Brom in his first season there for the Cardinals. Now, Louisville is not done yet. They can clinch a spot in the ACC championship against Florida State with a win. If you look at Louisville... 9-1, and one, a dominant win over Notre Dame. They can pick up a win against Miami, a win against Kentucky, and a win against Florida State. If Louisville is sitting there as a 12-1 ACC champion, they're going to need help, but there is a shot for them to make the playoff. It would be a long shot, but there's a chance. And if you're a Louisville fan, you're telling me there's a chance, that's good enough for me. But back to this Louisville-Miami game. Louisville. at Miami in their history. Only 3-11 all-time against Miami. Miami currently 5-1 this season at home with their only loss to Georgia Tech. Everybody knows they should not have lost that game, but still, they did lose that game, so they're 5-1 at home. Miami coming off back-to-back road losses to NC State and Florida State. So, will they be in wounded animal mode? Will they come back home, coming off two losses? Will Mario Cristobal be able to get his team off the turf, get back up, find a way to win this game? Right now, both of these teams love to run the football. Both of these teams are great stopping the run. Both teams top 20 in stopping the run. Both teams top 20 in rushing the football. What does this mean? What does this mean? Is one of these teams going to break through? One of these teams going to be able to run the football? Who knows? But it's going to be up to these QBs to make plays. They're going to have to be able to convert third downs, keep drives alive, make a couple plays with their legs. It's going to be up to Jack Plummer of Louisville and Tyler Van Dyke of Miami. Jack Plummer played pretty well this season, 
Hasn't had to do a ton because of the rushing attack, but 2,400 yards, 65% completion percentage, also 16 touchdowns. He's got a couple weapons out there. Jamari Thrash, who has six touchdowns. Chris Bell and Amari Huggins-Bruce, who's averaging over 17 yards per catch. Watch for him in some deep plays today. If you go to the Miami side, Tyler Van Dyke. He started most of this season for Miami. Last week, he was benched for Emory Williams, who then got hurt. So he's thrust back into the starting position. If you're looking at Tyler Van Dyke, I know last year, coming into this season, some people had him projected to maybe be a projected NFL draft prospect this year in the spring. However, he has not had not lived up to his expectations. Thrown 12 interceptions this season, which is one more than he had in his first three years at Miami. It's been a little bit of a struggle, you know, limiting bad throws this season, making poor decisions for Tyler Van Dyke. Can he turn it around? I'm going to take the Louisville Cardinals to find a way to go into Miami, get their first win in Miami. I'm doing this for one reason and one reason only. Louisville's had success in close games this season. 4-0 in games decided by 7 points or fewer. Their defense has played fantastic all season. Number 3 in red zone defense. Number 6 in third down defense. Number 9 in rush defense. And number 12 in scoring defense. Give me the Cardinals to find a way to win this football game at Miami. Go Cards. All right. That is it for week 12 of the college football season. But since all of us will be going on Thanksgiving break here at the University of Alabama, we will not be able to have a show next week for you guys. However, there is football still being played next week. So let's talk about it. Oregon State, who we've talked about against Washington. They will go to Austin Stadium to face the Oregon Ducks. Oregon this week plays Arizona State. Arizona State struggling at three and seven right now. We would assume that Oregon pulls off that win and heads into this game ten and one. Oregon State currently sitting there at eight and two. Play Washington tonight, so they will either come into this game at nine and two with a very real shot to make the big Pac-12 championship game if they beat Oregon next week. Other than that, this is just a huge rivalry game in general, and this is Oregon State's last chance to play Oregon for the foreseeable future as Oregon heads to the Big Ten. Is that extra motivation for the Beavers? Do they have a little bit more fire in them? Do they want this game more? Do they want to show Oregon, hey, bring us with you. You know, we're big school too. Bring us with you to the Big Ten. What the heck, you're leaving us here in the Pac-12. So... Will there be extra motivation for the Beavers? I believe so. I think the Beavers can go in there and give Oregon a great fight for four quarters, but I think the Oregon Ducks, this team, with Bo Nix, with Dan Lanning, this team is going to find a way to win that game. I think it'll be a great fight, but I think Bo Nix makes a few plays. I think DGU Youngalai does not make some plays late in this game. That's what turns it around. Bo Nix has had one of the best seasons in the country. He is vying for a Heisman Trophy as well, just like Michael Penix, the two Pac-12 quarterbacks. Bo Nix has been fantastic. His completion percentage from his days at Auburn is astronomically different. His decision-making is on a whole different level. His efficiency, clearly on a different level. The way he is able to read defenses, make quick plays, get the ball out to his guys in space, has taken his game to a whole other level. Everybody knew Bo Nix at Auburn, making plays with his legs, making some dazzling plays at quarterback. But he struggled to make consistent throws and not turn the football over. Well, this season he's got two interceptions, and he's leading the country in completion percentage. 
I don't know what's happened these past four years, but the dude's doing something right. Give me the Ducks. All right. Then we have in the swamp down there in Gainesville, Florida, the Florida State Seminoles heading down to Florida to face the Billy Napier Florida Gators. Florida heads to Missouri this week. If they lose that game, they'll be sitting at 5-6 and six in their final week of the season against Florida State, needing a win to become bowl eligible. What more motivation do you need if you're the Gators? It's a rivalry game. You can knock Florida State's playoff chances, and you can get bowl eligible. All multiple ducks can be knocked down with one stone if you're the Florida Gators. How do they do this? Graham Mertz. Going to have to play fantastic. They're going to have to be able to run the football, Trevor Etienne. But they're going to have to find a way to cover Key on Coleman. They're going to have to rattle Jordan Travis. This crowd of 100,000-plus, which I'm sure will be there, living it up down there in Gainesville, they're going to have to be loud, as always. And what more motivation do they need? It's a night game, prime time in the swamp. It's going to be rowdy down there. Florida State's going to have every, going to get everything they can handle from the Florida Gators. It's going to be a fantastic game to watch. As an Alabama fan, I am rooting for the Gators more than I've ever rooted for the Gators in my life. Go Florida. Now, our final rivalry week game that we are going to be looking at for today is the game in Ann Arbor, Michigan, in the big house between Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State plays in Minnesota this week. Michigan plays Maryland this week. Will either of them be looking forward to this game too much where they get upset? I'm going to say no. I don't think that happens, but you never know in college football. But if both these teams find a way to win this week, they will go into the game both 11-0, both looking to be in the college football playoff, both looking to make national championship runs. But the winner of this game most likely will make the playoff. The loser of this game is on the outside looking in. Ohio State. Last week against Michigan State, saw their offense come alive, particularly Kyle McCord playing better at quarterback. He has had his moments. He has had his downs. He's had his ups. Obviously, his up, probably against Notre Dame, that big drive to win that game at the buzzer. He's had his downs as well, had some struggles, but he's coming along. They're going to have to be able to throw the ball if they want to beat this Michigan team. Obviously, they have their out pitch in Marvin Harrison Jr. It's a guy they can go to no matter what, no matter who's covering. He is the best wide receiver in the country. His length, his athleticism, his speed, phenomenal player. So obviously if you're Michigan, you got to find a way to cover that guy. But but if you put too many guys on him, they still have a Mecca Ibuka. They still have a strong run game with Travion Henderson and Maya Williams. If you're Ohio State on defense, you've played fantastic defense all season. This Ohio State defense has been one of the best in the entire country. And it's because of a philosophy change that they've made over this offseason. They looked at themselves last year and they said, we lost to Michigan. We lost to Georgia. What happened? Well, it's because they let up 18 big plays in those two football games. More than they had the entire rest of the season. What do you do to stop big plays? Well, you make a philosophy change. They've changed their defense around a little bit, limited big plays. They have been one of the best against big plays all season long. It's what made their defense so good. But this is a whole different ball game. Michigan's coming off back-to-back wins against Ohio State. We have not said that in a long time. And this is basically the Michigan team, basically all of their turning starters from last year. 
the team that went into the shoe and dominated come out with a 21-point win, 45-24. So they know how to beat them. It's going to be interesting to see all the different coaching scenarios with Jim Harbaugh not coaching for Michigan in this game. See all the adjustments that are made. See how Sharon Moore, the interim head coach for interim or you know acting head coach for Michigan in this game. Will Michigan be able to hit any big plays? Will they be able to run the football like they've had success against Penn State? And will J.J. McCarthy make plays? All remains to be seen. Personally, I'm taking Michigan. I don't think Ohio State has enough on offense. This Michigan defense has been fantastic as well all season. I think J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, Roman Wilson, I think they make some plays. I think they get their third straight Big 12 champ, Big 10 championship appearance, Big 10 championship, and head to the college football playoff. Just want to say here, go back to our preseason predictions. I had Michigan finishing as the number one seed in the college football playoff. I had number two going to be Alabama winning the SEC championship. My third seed, we're not going to talk about that. That didn't, that didn't go very well. But the fourth, I had Georgia. That was my top four. That is very well on the table here. Also, predicted Alabama to lose to Texas and then go on to win the SEC championship. That looks like it might happen as well. I don't know how I got so lucky to predict something like this, but hopefully it happens. So we will see what happens next week in the big game, in the big house. All right, that is it for today's game day college football show. We will be back in two weeks to talk about the SEC championship between the Georgia Bulldogs and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Hopefully, we will be talking about the 11-1 Alabama and the 12-0 Georgia Bulldogs. If not, well, that would be really sad. Anyways, let's hope that doesn't happen. I thank you all for tuning in, and we'll be back in two weeks. And as always, Roll Tide! WVUA-FM, Tuscaloosa.